Welcome to the City Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. As a community of faith, we are passionate about helping people find and follow Jesus. Welcome. Happy Thanksgiving weekend to you. Thanks for being here today. And thank you to those who are watching online as well. We had an awesome 9 a.m. service today, and I look forward to what God's going to do. But I want to start out just by wishing each of you a happy Thanksgiving. Man, 2020 is a year to be thankful for, isn't it? <laughs> it definitely is, definitely is. It's funny. Uh, you know, you think about 2020 and how it's kind of been a dumpster fire of issues. Uh, it's been a problem. We've had issues. There's been tragedy, unrest, loss, all of that. The great thing about being a Christian, though, is that even in the middle of all of the chaos and the difficulty that is around us, the fact is, is that every single day that passes by, we are one day closer to seeing our Savior face to face. And that is something that we can be thankful for as a church. That is something we can be thankful for as Christians today. And even though we are in a unique season of difficulty right now uh, as a nation and personally for many people, it's been a difficult uh, time. One of the things that we do know is that as Christians, we are still to give thanks in all things. First Thessalonians chapter number th- five and verse number 18, it tells us in everything give thanks. In how many things? Say it with me. Everything, everything, not just some things, not just the good things. In everything, we are to give thanks. And uh, it says, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. I love it. One of the wills of God for your life is that you would be a person of thankfulness, somebody who is giving thanks for all it is that God has done. Now, what's amazing to me about this verse here in 1 Thessalonians is that the Apostle Paul, one of the most persecuted Christians in all of Scripture that we read about, it was the Apostle Paul who wrote this to the persecuted Thessalonican church. This was a church that was born out of persecution. In fact, if you remember the church there in Thessalonica, if you remember, it was surrounded by lewd fellows of the baser sort. You remember those guys? I mean, those guys were the worst. And uh, There were these terrible men there, but yet out of that place and out of that persecution and out of all of that difficulty, what we see is we see a church being established. And then Paul says to that persecuted church, be thankful. Be thankful in all things. And that's a great reminder for us this weekend uh, that we will begin to be thankful. Now, our society is not going to talk a lot about Thanksgiving. I think you realize that. I did a little precursor look of kind of all of the local uh, news, uh, news outlets and websites today. And this morning, maybe that'll change, but I found maybe only one or two articles even dealing with the subject. And they were like, why do we have Thanksgiving? What does it mean? And uh, of course, I read the article, didn't say a whole lot about the Lord. In fact, zero about God uh, and how traditionally as Christians, we have used it to be thankful for what God uh, has given to us. But the thing is, is, as Christians, regardless of that, we need to give thanks in all things, the good and the bad, and just be thankful uh, for the Lord Jesus Christ. Because man, that is one thing that can set you apart as a Christian in this society, is if you are a thankful person. That is one thing that can separate you and can set you apart. Well, last week, where we left off of our study in the book of Acts, and I hope you turn there with me to Acts chapter number 23, if you got your Bibles or your phones out, um, that you turn there with me. But we last left off uh, last week, and I am sure that Paul's thankfulness thermometer, his peace. PTT was a little bit low at this point. If you remember from last week's message, he was now found himself in a Roman prison. He was being held by the Romans. Now, he had come to Jerusalem, of course. God had told him there would be some difficulty. He knew there would be bonds. He knew that there would be some trials. But I do not think that he expected within the first few days of showing up in Jerusalem, he would be beaten by a mob that was determined to take his life. I don't know if he thought that was going to happen within those first few days. I don't think he expected that the church in Jerusalem would still be harboring some uh, racial tendencies and resistance to the Gentiles coming to know the Lord Jesus Christ as a Savior. I don't know if he knew the extent or how bad it would be, but this is where we see him. 
He sees himself being completely uh, um, attacked, and, and, and they, of course, tried to uh, murder him and kill him, and then the Romans came in and sort of saved him, and it seemed like a blessing, if you remember. They came and they saved him. They took him out of the crowd, and they took him up to the fortress of Antonia and then proceeded to strip him down, tie him, and get ready to beat him again, right? Because that's how Romans dealt with it, violence upon violence. Why are they trying to kill you? We're going to beat you and find out, you know? And uh, I mean, it's just odd, odd <laughs> decisions that were being made there, but that's what the apostle Paul was going through, and then he revealed to them, if you remember, they're about to beat him, and he reveals his Roman citizenship, and so what did that do? That then uh, gave him basically freedom in the essence that he's not, no longer could be beaten without a proper trial, and so at the time, at the time, I believe for him, he thought that, okay, maybe I'm going to be okay for a while, but the fact was is that his life was still in a precarious position. He was still, uh, um, he, he still, of course, had plans for the future. He had plans for uh, uh, what he felt God wanted him to do. But the, the, the fact is, is that he may not be escaping this situation. I'm sure that that evening as he was there in that garrison, that sleep did not come easy to him. I wonder if he maybe thought about Jesus and the disciples and how when there was a great storm that the disciples said to Jesus, Jesus, don't you care that we perish? I wonder if that was a, a prayer that he had maybe saying, Lord, do you, uh, do you even care? Do you even know what it is that I, am, uh, that I am going through? And the reality of his death, I'm sure, would have been at the forefront of his mind and the forefront of his heart. But this morning, I want for us to wake up with the Apostle Paul there in that prison. And what I want for us to do today as we continue this story is I want for us to take note I want for us to recognize and then be thankful that no matter the circumstances Paul found himself in, he could be thankful that the protective hand of God was going to walk with him as he pursued God's will for his life. And that's really one of the great truths about the Christian life is that as we desire to follow the Lord and we pursue him and we pursue his glory for his lives, no, our lives, no matter what the situations we find ourselves in, no matter the difficulty, we truly have no need to fear at all because we know that God is with us, that he is working things out for his good and he is working things out for his glory. And so this morning, as we walk through this story, we're going to observe and be grateful for the working of God in the apostle Paul's life. And then at the same time, what I want us to do is reflect on God's work in our own lives. Man, it's hard sometimes to do that. It is hard to sort of step back sometimes and to reflect and to see how God has been working his will and his work in our life. It's hard to see that. But today, that's what I hope we'll do is we'll step back just a little bit and reflect and be thankful that God is in control. Well, point number one this morning, if you're taking notes, I've got our note sheets there. Hope you'll follow along. I want you to see, as we begin this story, Paul's character on display. Paul's character on display. Hey, Jonah, can you turn me down just a little bit? Or Julius, can you turn me down just a little bit in the house here? I feel like I'm a little loud. Anybody else feel that way? You're like, well, his voice changed from last week. It's just a little loud. We'll turn it down just a bit. Just, just in the house. Thank you. All right. We see Paul's character on display. Well, that morning we know Paul was brought before the council and the high priest. So here was the deal. They, uh, they had arrested Paul, or they held him now, I guess, to protect him. They knew he was a Roman citizen. Well, the Roman centurion is like, listen, I want to know why they're trying to kill you. So he calls a meeting with the high priest and the council, the Sanhedrin, some 70 men, rulers, leaders there uh, in Jerusalem. And he says, I want to uh, find out and I want to hear what their accusation is against you. So that's where we pick it up here. And we see Paul's character on display. Look at verse number one of Acts chapter 23. And Paul earnestly beholding the council said, men and brethren, I have lived in all good conscience before God 
until this day. Now, that's a very powerful statement there. He says, I stand before you today, and I am living in good conscience before God uh, until this day. What is he saying here? What Paul is saying, he says, I am standing here before for you guys today. What's interesting, it says Paul beholding them. Obviously something happened. They begin to speak. Some accusations had come along. But what we see is Paul then saying to them, I am standing here and there is nothing that you can genuinely or legitimately accuse me of, is what he's saying. He's saying, I'm standing here and God has not convicted me of anything at all. I stand here and I believe that there is nothing in my life. There is nothing wrong. There's no sin in my life that I could be convicted about. And as, essentially what he's saying is that if you're going to accuse me of something, then you're going to have to make something up. <laughs> you're going to have to make something up that, that you can use in accusation against me because before God, I am standing here with a clear conscience. Now, Paul was a guy who was always in tune with his conscience. Some 23 times in his books, he talks about his pure conscience or his right conscience uh, before the Lord. And to him, it was very important that he had a, uh, that he had a life, that he had a moral understanding uh, that was right and was clear of offense before God. And for us this morning, what a great thought as we start out the message today. Can you stand before God? And can you stand before your family? Could you stand before your friends or your church family and say, I have a conscience that is clear. I have a conscience that is void of offense. My character is such that you'd have to make something up if you were going to accuse me of any wrongdoing. You know what this deals with is Paul's real connection uh, to the Lord. Paul's desire uh, to always keep his sin up to date with God, keeping it confessed, keeping his heart right with the Lord. And so even though these men were accusing him, he could say, I am void. I, my conscience is clear. I know that between me and God. And don't you think that Paul, if, if there was really something between him and God, don't you think he would bring it up? I mean, he was that kind of a guy. He was spiritual enough. He knew the Lord. If, if there was sin in his life, I'm sure he would have mentioned it. But he says, I am, I am pure and I am clear before the Lord. Man, what a tremendous thought for us as Christians today. If we are going to be people who are going to stand and people who are going to defend our faith and defend God, of course, we must be people of true character and of conscience. Uh, John Wooden was a basketball coach for, with UCLA for many, many years. He said this about the idea of character. He said, you need to be more concerned with your character than your reputation. You need more, more concerned with your character than your reputation because your character is what you really are while your reputation is merely what other people think about you. Now, in our crazy messed up world today, we have it the opposite. Everyone is more worried about what others think about them, but yet in, inside and inwardly, there's no substance to them at all whatsoever. They're crooked, they're liars, they're backstabbers, they're not honest. But rather than being worried about our reputation or worried about our highlight reels on social media, our character should be the thing that we are most focused on right before the Lord. Because Paul was concerned about that more than his reputation with those Jewish leaders. He really was. And I got to tell you, as Christians, guess what? People are, may say and slander you. People may have wrong opinions about you. They may think uh, that, oh, they're a Christian, therefore they are like this. But it doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter what other people say about us because if you were right before God, that's all you need. That's all you need. You know, sometimes in life, if you've ever been through a hard time or maybe you've had some relational issues or difficulties, isn't it always great to be able to be with that person who you know loves you unconditionally? You know, maybe it's your mom or your dad or a close friend. And no matter what other people might say about you, you know they got your back. They know that, that they're going to walk there with you and they're going to support you. And, and that's really what it is with the Lord. Listen, other people can accuse, but if my conscience is right before the Lord and me and God are right, then I'm, I'm going to be okay. I'm going to be okay. And that has to deal with our character, who we are when no one else is watching. 
And Paul here, he was concerned about his character and not his reputation. So he stood before his accusers with a pure heart. But no sooner had he said it than the chief priest responded. Look at verse number two. And the high priest Ananias commanded them that stood by him to smite him on the mouth. <laughs> so he says, I am pure in conscience before the Lord. And he just gets nailed. <laughs> I mean, I, that, that, we think smite like a little hit. No, this was a punch. I mean, this was, you know, he put his whole weight into it. You know, maybe someone had taught him how to punch. If you had somebody teach you how to punch, you know, you put your shoulder and he just drove right through it. And he got smacked in the face by saying, I am pure before God. Boom. <laughs> and he got clocked right in the face for what he had to say. Now this to me, you look at this and you're like, this is crazy. What, a, like, what, kind, of, what kind of justice, what kind of court, what kind of uh, uh, mature spiritual people would respond to Paul saying, I'm right before the Lord, <laughs> you know? Well, what kind of response? This is, this is very, very weird. Where's the civility? Where is the justice in all of this? And I gotta tell you, you are right in asking that question. Ananias, who was the high priest at the time, uh, was unjust and in fact was unbiblical in doing this. Leviticus chapter 19, verse 15, you can just maybe slot that away for later on to look up. But in Leviticus, it talks about how uh, responding in that way uh, is wrong and it goes against the word. It's being unjust towards a person. And so we have the high priest of Israel here. And he was living in, and what I want us to see is that his character was in complete contrast to the apostle Paul's. Paul says, I'm right before God. He says, punch him in the face, <laughs> you know, for saying that. I mean, that shows you right there his character. It's interesting. If you read some of the external uh, books that deal with uh, Jewish culture and history at that time, Josephus was one of those who wrote a lot about, uh, about the, uh, Israel and Jerusalem, especially in this time. He said that Ananias, who was the high priest from AD 48 to AD 62, he said that Ananias was known for his temper. He was known for responding in this kind of way. He was greedy. And uh, as well, it tells us that he was known for his pro-Roman sentiments, <laughs> So he was not a good guy. So we kind of can understand why maybe a little bit just his own heart in this place. But then we come and we now have an opportunity to see the Apostle Paul's response. Now, have you guys ever been smacked in the face before by somebody? Okay, some of you say yes. I asked Jeanette, uh, I asked Jeanette this week, I said, Jeanette, have you ever slapped me in the face? Because, uh, you know, you see on movies, you know, sometimes women will slap, you know, somebody like, oh, oh, you know, and smack him or whatever. Or he's a jerk. I, I get it. Uh, I asked Jeanette, I said, Jeanette, have you ever smacked me in the face? She said no. So that made me feel good. I, I think I would have remembered it, actually. But uh, if you've ever been smacked in the face, maybe as a kid or by someone you knew or, or maybe just someone trying to be insulting to you, you know, man, how infuriating that is. That's a bit demeaning, isn't it? You know how frustrating that can be. And so now we have the Apostle Paul says, I am right before the Lord. He gets hit in the face. And now look how he responds. And Paul said unto him, verse three, God, God shall smite thee, thou whited wall. Okay. <laughs> For sittest thou to judge me after the law and commandest me to be smitten contrary to the law? Now Paul responds to this punch in the face with a sharp rebuke. And he calls the high priest a whited wall. You whited wall. And everybody went, burn. Okay, no, all right, never mind. I thought that was funny. <laughs> you say, what are you talking about? What, what, why is that so insulting? To us, we're like, okay, he's a whited wall. Not that big of a deal. Well, it was actually quite the insult. Here's what he's doing. The apostle Paul is referencing something in the Old Testament that talks about the idea of building a wall, but not using the proper mortar. So in other words, building a wall that looks strong and looks sturdy, but in fact, it's just going to fall apart. 
Uh, down at our campground, we have a wall that uh, we, we did have <laughs> around uh, so where like the garbage receptacles were kept, and it was a cinder block wall, and it was just really old. And I remember one day I was standing there, and I was talking to somebody. I put my hand on the wall just to sort of have a little discussion, and the wall just like, boom, just like fell in. I was like, okay, this wall is done. We actually took it all down because it was so old and decrepit that it was not. It looked fine because we had painted it, which is interesting. We had painted it up to match the other buildings, but the wall was weak. And that's what Paul is saying. He's saying, you look, you look good on the outside. You're the high priest. You have people's respect. You say you know the law, but inwardly you are weak. You are corrupt. You are flimsy. And I thought it's so interesting that Paul here says that to him because Paul's prophecy, he didn't probably know the, the depth of his prophecy. Interestingly enough, 10 years later, Ananias is assassinated by his own people. He was that kind of a guy. But Paul here says, listen, you, you are corrupt. You are flimsy. You are nothing. And he and even brings up the fact that he hit him, which is contrary to the law. But then look at verse 4. And they that stood by said, revilest thou God's high priest? The word revilest means like abuse. He's like, how can you abuse the high priest? Then said Paul, I wish not. Now that, I, that word there is not I wish not. It's I didn't know is what he's saying. He said, I didn't know, brethren, that he was the high priest. For it is written, thou shalt not speak evil of the ruler of the people. Now this is really interesting. Like what is happening here, right? <laughs> okay, I read the Bible sometimes. I'm like, what is going on here? So Paul says, you smote me against the law and you are a white wall and you're corrupt. And they said, why are you abusing the high priest in this way? And he said, I didn't know it was the high priest. Okay, what's going on? Let's break it down. All right, let's, you got it? Let's break it down. So Paul, Paul rebukes, then he gets rebuked, and then he apologizes and he quotes scripture to him. Did you see that at the very end? He said, uh, for it is written, thou shalt not uh, speak evil of the ruler of thy people. So what is going on here? What, how, how is it that Paul can say he did not know this was the high priest? Well, there's a couple of possible reasons behind that. First of all, Paul had been away from Jerusalem for a while, hadn't he? He'd been gone for several years. So priests changed over. Uh, and so he maybe literally did not know uh, who the high priest was. The second thing we know about Paul is that he had terrible eyesight. We do know that from other passages. He even talks about later on, he says, see how big I've written this letter to you. <laughs> he says that, he says, look how big the letters are that I've written. And it's because his eyesight was bad. So now you have a crowd of 70 people. Everybody's kind of blurry, you know? You don't really know who's out there. He, all he hears is, punch him in the face, you know? He doesn't know who said it. And so, uh, it, it, and so it, between, the, uh, between that as well, you got to think this was not a common meeting place uh, for the Sanhedrin. So the high priest would not have been wearing all of his priestly robes and the things that identified him as the high priest. This was an unusual circumstance. The uh, Romans had called the meeting, and so they would not have been arrayed in that, in that way. And so you add all of those things up, and, and some people think that maybe he was just speaking ironically, like what kind of priest who knows the law would, you know, I don't even recognize him as who he is. But regardless of all that, here's what I want you to see, his character on display, and that is this. When he was shown and told that he was wrong in what he did, what did he do? He apologized. And he, he said, I didn't know. I'm sorry. In, in essence, in quoting the scripture, he's saying, I know what the scripture says. I'm sorry. I didn't know that about, about the, I didn't know that was the high priest who said that. And that's what's so interesting to me is that people of great character will act in this way, won't they? People of great character are those who will, when confronted with their wrong, will make it right. They'll make it right not only with God, but they'll make it right with the person that they have wronged. And Paul, as a person of character, that's what happened. Even though he'd just been punched in the face, was being falsely accused, they pointed out something wrong that he had did, and he said, I'm sorry, I made it right. Listen, we need to be people of character like that. Then when we wrong somebody, 
When we, uh, when we know that something has happened or someone brings a wrong to us, that we need to be the first to make things right. When we have wronged our Savior, we need to be the first to go and, and repent of that and get that right with the Lord. Now, I realize that in a situation like this, some of you might be thinking, yeah, but Ananias is a total jerk of a leader. And that's true. He is. He was not a good guy. In fact, you could, I think, legitimately say he is an illegitimate leader. Honestly, right? Christ came. Christ died for all. The veil of the temple was torn in two. No longer do we need that, uh, that, that aspect of the high priest and the sacrifice and all that because Jesus paid it all. So why, why, you know, why is this guy even here? But we get to a deeper thought here that I think is important for us to remember is that Paul still recognized that this guy was still in control. He was still a leader. He was still a ruler of the people. And so because he knew that God was the one who had allowed that to happen, he still was respectful to that position. Now, that's a great thing for us today, because guess what? We don't have some of the greatest rulers, do we? Okay, all right. <laughs> Earthly rulers, now you're talking about, you know what I'm talking about, in our country, in our city. We don't necessarily have the greatest of people in control, do we? The greatest of people that are in charge. Yet, regardless of whether it's a bad uh, a provincial leader uh, or a bad high priest or a bad judge in the Old Testament or, or whatever you want to look at, regardless, if they are not who they should be and are not honoring the Lord, the main thing that we need to know as Christians is that we still are to give honor and to submit to those that are in authority over us. That's a very clear scriptural principle. And so Paul is showing that to us. He is submitting then. He's saying, I'm sorry, I should not have responded in that way. He corrects himself because he recognized the authority that was still in place. Even though it was earthly and even though it was corrupt, he was recognizing that authority. You say, well, how does that come into play with us today? The same principle applies, that we are to submit to those that are in government, those that are in authority over us, unless they ask us or require us or make us to sin against the word of God. At that point, civil disobedience would be something that we would practice and be a part of. But unless that comes about, we are to do our best to honor those that are in control. And that, and that is frustrating sometimes, isn't it? We've been in a difficult season uh, right now even. And it's been frustrating. It's been difficult. But yet we're going to do our best. And as long as we are not pushed to sin uh, or to violate the word of God and to violate God's, uh, God's law, then we're going to do our best to honor those that are in authority over us. And Paul did that because he was a person of character. He was a person of character. And so he was indeed uh, honoring them at this point. But even though he was a man of character, Paul still needed some wisdom from the Lord to continue on. And so that's what we see secondly today. We see Paul's wisdom in the chaos. So his character is on display for all to see. He is a man of character. But even though he has character, he needs the Lord. And that's what we see next in verse number six. But when Paul perceived that the one part were Sadducees and the other Pharisees, he cried out in the council. He yelled out, men and brethren, I am a Pharisee the son of a Pharisee. And then he said this, of the hope and resurrection of the dead, I am called in question. Now, this is a very interesting exchange here because as Paul looks at that group, he understands there are two different religious leadership groups represented. We have the Sadducees and we have the Pharisees. Now, Paul grew up trained in the Pharisee uh, way. It says he's a, a son of a Pharisee. I don't know if that was literally the son of a Pharisee or the idea that he grew up in that culture. But either way, he sees these two groups and he recognizes that they are united at this point, in their hatred towards him. Interesting, just like they were united in their hatred towards Jesus Christ. 
And now we have these two groups that were constantly bickering, constantly fighting, but they are united in their hate towards the Apostle Paul. But then with the wisdom of the Lord, I believe he devised the group with one statement. And the statement was this, is that I believe I've been arrested because I believe in the hope of the resurrection of the dead. Now, who's he talking about? He's talking about Jesus Christ, of course. And he says, I believe in the hope of the resurrection of the dead. And it, at that moment, divided the group. It divided the people that were there. By the way, that statement today is still dividing, isn't it? If you've ever declared your faith in Jesus Christ and said, I believe that Jesus is the resurrected son of God. He is the one who's risen from the dead. And guess what? That is a dividing statement, isn't it? It will separate you from some people and from their opinions, of course. And it was a dividing statement, yet it is still something that we proclaim as Christians because it is the key to the gospel. If you remember 1 Corinthians 15, it says, if there be no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is, uh, then is Christ not risen. And if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching vain. And your faith, he says, is vain. It is nothing. Without the resurrected Savior, we have nothing at all. And Paul says to that group, he says, I'm arrested because I believe in the resurrection of the dead, speaking specifically about Jesus Christ. And I, I know and I believe honestly in my heart that he was wanting to preach Christ crucified then at that moment. But what happened is that it immediately then divided the group. It divided the group because uh, this idea of the resurrection of the dead was one of the most theologically discussed and argued uh, um, topics between these two different groups. Now, the Pharisees, now Paul said, remember, I'm a Pharisee of the Pharisees. The Pharisees believed in angels. They believed in spirits. They believed in the resurrection of the dead, where the Sadducees believed in none of those things. They thought, you're dead, you're done. That's what they believed. That's why they were sad, you see. Get it? All right. They were sad because they did not believe in the resurrection of the dead. That's great. That's old school preacher joke right there. It helps you remember though. They were sad. <laughs> they did not believe in the resurrection. They did not believe in angels. They did not believe in spirits. And so when Paul says that, he divided the group and dissension came. Look at verse seven. And when he had so said, there arose a dissension between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the multitude was divided. See, I was telling the truth. <laughs> That's what happened. They were divided. For the Sadducees say, there is no resurrection, neither angel nor spirit, but the Pharisees confess both. Verse 9, and there arose a great cry. So a bunch of noise, everybody started yelling at each other. And the scribes that were of the Pharisees part arose and strove saying, we find no evil in this man. So the, the scribes of the Pharisees, they're like, hey, you go and go over there and fight this guy. Strive means to fight. So like fist fights were breaking out uh, in this meeting. And so they're striving together. But then this is what they said. We find no evil in this man. But if a spirit or an angel has spoken to him, let us not fight against God. So the Pharisees are like, hey, if this is really of God, we're not going to fight. Uh, or we're not going to fight against him. Verse 10, and when there arose a great dissension, the chief captain, fearing lest Paul should have been pulled in pieces of them, commanded the soldiers to go down and take him by force from among them and to bring him into the castle. Now, this is crazy. So Paul says this statement, I believe in the resurrection of the dead and a fight breaks out and they're pitting their scribes against each other. I got 20 bucks on my scribe and I don't know if they're doing that, but you know, they're fighting each other and this brawl breaks out and they're, they're just going after each other. And then the Romans are like, hey, wait a minute. They see it happening and they go and they grab him because they feared he was going to be pulled in pieces. So they were pulling on him. I mean, that, I, I don't know if you've ever been in a crowd like that. It's very uncomfortable. You remember like the fireworks back in the day, we had fireworks downtown. Remember that? You all go and you're 
just walk like this, and then the crowd starts to move, and you, have, you get stuck in them. It's a terrible feeling, but he's being pulled and torn, and so the Romans come running down. They grab him, and they carry him back up into the castle. I'm sure Paul said to the centurion, yeah, this was a great idea. Good job, man. Way to, this is a great idea. This is how we're going to figure some things out. But they're fighting, and they're shouting, and it's undignified, and then Paul is rescued uh, from the crowd, and he is protected then. <laughs> Here's the thing. Here's what I want us to know. Whenever you speak up for the Lord, uh, first of all, there's gonna, probably going to be some division. But the second thing that we notice in this passage about speaking up for Christ is that God is going to give you the wisdom you need in the moment. Now, I don't know about you, but I've experienced this many, many times in my life. When the Lord has led me to share my faith or to witness with somebody, God just sort of gives me wisdom and he gives me the words to say. I don't have to describe it. I've had situations where I was unprepared. <laughs> I didn't know what was happening. I didn't know. Uh, I, I was not prepared to share my faith. And then God just gave me the right thing to say. He just gave me the right thought or the right illustration or whatever it was to share it with somebody. And, and man, that's such a wonderful thing that God comes alongside of us when we need him most. Even in chaotic times, he will come alongside of us. First Timothy chapter 1, verse 7 tells us, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And then he says, do not be ashamed. Uh, be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. Don't be ashamed of our Lord. You can stand with boldness. You can stand without fear. You can stand with courage and proclaim the Lord Jesus Christ. And when you put yourself out there for the Lord, when you speak out for him with boldness and with character, God will direct your words. He will give you the grace that you need in that moment. And Paul is an example of somebody who was willing to speak up and God gave him the words that divided the crowd at that moment, uh, that basically rescued Paul from that time and God had protected him from this situation. And so we see Paul being taken back up into the barracks. He's put aside. I don't know if he was in a cell or just in a room on his own, but they put him aside and the apostle Paul at the time maybe had felt safe from the crowd, but hearing the shouting, hearing the fighting continue, knowing where he was at the highest point in Jerusalem, knowing that for the apostle Paul, he knew he was still not out of the woods yet. He was still in a very difficult situation. The future for him seemed pretty bleak. He had hoped to have an effective witness there in Jerusalem, but between the corrupt church there in Jerusalem and between uh, that and the hate from everyone else, really the opportunity for him to stand and preach Christ and have a ministry there was almost gone. I am sure for him, even his hopes of going to Rome and then on to Spain uh, were beginning to fade. Man, he would have been physically tired. Think about it. In a couple of days' time, he's been beaten within an inch of his life. He's been tied up. Uh, he's been uh, pulled apart almost. And physically, I mean, he's not a young man at this point. He would have been exhausted physically, emotionally. I'm sure he was spent. I'm sure that he was discouraged. And now here he is alone in a room wondering, I'm sure, are the Romans just going to turn me over so that they can, like they did with Christ, are they just going to turn me over and just end this thing right now? Was this the end of his ministry? But I want us to see as we close today that though he might have felt alone in the moment, he was not alone. He was not alone. Just like when we are in our loneliest and our most difficult times, God is with us. And so I want you to see, lastly, God's timely encouragement. God's timing is always perfect. And we see him come to the Apostle Paul in verse number 11. And the night following, the Lord stood by him. Man, I love that. The same, that night following, the Lord stood by him. And this is what the Lord said. Be of good cheer, Paul. He called him by his name. He said, I want you to be of good cheer. Uh, for as thou hast testified of me in Jerusalem, so must thou bear witness also 
at Rome. I mean, to think about this gives me chills, goosebumps to think about it. The fact that as he was there in that room, that the Lord, the physical manifestation of Jesus Christ himself came to him and appeared to him. And he said, Paul, I want you to be of good cheer. Now he used a single word. Uh, Tharseo is the word that Jesus would have used. We have it interpreted in four words, be of good cheer. But what that means in its original intent is the idea of take courage is what it means. Take courage, take courage, be strong, be encouraged, be, uh, be, uh, be lifted up. It was a phrase that Jesus used five different times in scripture besides, uh, well, there was this one and then four other times. The one time he came uh, when he spoke to the paralyzed man uh, before he healed him, he said, be of good cheer, he said to that man. To the woman that came to Jesus who had the issue of blood, the disease of blood for 12 years, when she came to him, he said to her, be of good cheer. When the disciples were in the boat and Jesus walked on water and they were terrified, oh, you know, they were scared, they thought they saw a ghost, he said to them, be of good cheer, be encouraged. And then on his final night on this earth, as he as he was there in the upper room the night before his crucifixion, he said to his disciples, be of good cheer. He said, I want you to take courage. I want you to take heart. And now we have the apostle Paul, Jesus coming to him directly and meeting with him and saying, be of good cheer, take courage. Be encouraged, I am with you. He stood by him. And as Paul awaited his fate there in the fortress of Antonio, the God gives him a unique word of encouragement from the Lord because God was not done with him yet. God had more for him to do. There was more for Paul to live and to serve uh, the Lord in those last days. And I gotta tell you, church, I am so thankful today that in my darkest days, in my most difficult situations, in the most challenging times, when I feel all alone and disconnected from everyone, the Lord is still standing by me today. Man, I'm thankful for that. And I hope that you would take courage with that today, that God is with you. No matter the challenges, he is standing by you. He's standing by you in your discouragement. He's standing by you in your hopelessness. If you do not know Christ as your Savior today, he's standing next to you while you're still in your sin. And he's saying, I'm here for you today. I'm here to forgive. I'm here to bless. I'm here to encourage. I'm here to uh, strengthen you. I'm here to comfort you. Now you say, well, man, Jesus has never showed up in my bedroom before. That would, that's okay, all right, just so you know. He does not come to us in, in those ways and pop up in our bedroom, of course, you know, today. But what we do know is that we have the Holy Spirit of God that is still with us to encourage us. That is why Jesus said in John, uh, John chapter 14, verse 16, he said, I will pray the Father and he shall give you another comforter. He's gonna give you a comforter, that's the Holy Spirit. See, it's capitalized there, the comforter, that he may abide with you forever. So the thing that is coming, Jesus said, and he said this, Jesus said, it's expedient for me to go. It's, it's a good thing for me to go because of what's coming. And he was talking about that Holy Spirit of God that will be with us forever, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, by the way. Those that do not know Christ, they, cannot just re- they can't just have the spirit of God in them. They must turn and accept him, of course, as their Lord and Savior. But it says, but because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. And at the beginning, he says, he'll give you a comforter that will abide with you forever. Uh, and uh, Jesus came and he encouraged Paul, and we have the Holy Spirit of God today to encourage us. We have the Spirit of God, and we have the Word of God as well. But he not only encouraged him, he says, I am with you. But look at verse number 11 again. He gave him some assurance for the future. He said, uh, for as thou hast testified of me in Jerusalem, so must thou bear witness also at Rome. Here's what he says. He says, you are going to continue on, and you're going to testify of me in Rome. And Paul said, Awesome. You know what that meant for him? Meant that God was going to get him out of Jerusalem. Some way, somehow, God was going to get him out of Jerusalem. He was going to make it out alive. And it meant that he was going to go on and testify, but it also was a reminder that Paul's task was not mainly just to defend himself or even to defend God. Paul's task was to testify of the Lord Jesus Christ. And man, that would have been so encouraging to him, don't you think? 
How encouraging would it be to have the Lord come stand by you and say, Paul, be of good cheer. I am with you. Be encouraged. Be encouraged. And what we see here is Jesus reminding Paul of an important thought. And I want you to get this. If you are the servant of Christ, if God has called you for something on this earth, then literally you are immortal. (laughs) Think about that. You are immortal. You say, whoa, this is getting weird. What is this? Duncan McLeod? This is, uh, you guys remember that show, the old uh, uh, Highlander show? You don't remember? Okay, anyway, that's not what we're talking about today. Some of you are like, what are you talking about? You can look it up later on. Here's what I'm talking about. Until the work of God is done in your life, you have no reason to fear. That is true. You don't. This, no servant of God is going to die a premature death. God's never going to be like, whoa, I didn't see that coming. Whoa, that truck came out of nowhere. God's not going to say that. God knows you. God has a plan. He has a purpose for your life. And, and, and by the way, if, his, if part of his plan is that you do uh, uh, die in some way or an early way, of course, we all have our idea of how we want to die or whatever it is. The fact is we can trust that God still knows what he's doing. But in the, in the meantime, there's no reason for us to live in fear. There's no reason for us to be terrified and be afraid because if God has a plan for us and he is in control of the situation and Jesus was not done with the apostle Paul. If you remember what David said in Psalm 31, 15, he said, my times are in thy hand. What he's saying is that my life, my times are in the hand of God and God is in control. And while we have breath, we should believe that Jesus has work for us to do. And if he has work for us to do, he's gonna see it through to completion in us. See, Man, it's such an powerful thing where he came and encouraged him. But the other thing I want you to notice about this, this passage here is that there's no miracles. Do you see that there? There's no like crazy like miracles, you know, like and all the Sanhedrin was struck with blindness and Paul just walked out of there, right? You didn't see that. What we see here is God orchestrating the, 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 the aspects or the details of his life and the situation there. God still orchestrated it all out for his good. Now, he gave Paul, obviously it was a miracle that Jesus came. Of course, yes, we understand that. But he came and he gave him a problem. He said, this is what's going to happen to you. But this whole situation from Paul showing up in Jerusalem until right now, there's no like crazy miracles. God is simply orchestrating his life for a purpose, because God is in control. And the same thing happens in our lives. So often we are sitting around waiting for the miracle, right? Waiting for that, you know, I just opened my bank account and whoa, there's a bunch of money in there. I don't know where it came from. By the way, if that happens to you, be very worried, <laughs> be concerned. Because if it can get in, it can get out, just so you know, wherever that came from. But, you know, we, we wait for these miracles and these amazing things to happen that we just, wow, this is so incredible. And by the way, God does things like that in our lives. But for the most part, as Christians, as we're faithful and walking with the Lord, we will see God orchestrate our steps for his good and for his glory. And we just need to trust in that fact. We need to trust in the fact that COVID is part of God's plan. We need to trust in the fact that uh, maybe that time you had out of work or the job loss or the struggle or the the, the theft or whatever it happened in your life is part of God's plan for your life. As hard and as difficult as maybe, I don't think Paul was there being almost torn apart and being like, wow, God, great plan here, right? We don't understand often what God is doing, but yet God is working things out for his good and for his glory because he loves us and he cares for us. That's why in 1 Peter 5, 7, it tells us to cast all your cares upon him, for he careth for you. I was trying to think of a way of illustrating it. And to me, whenever I think of this verse of casting your care, I always think of just taking off my jacket and hanging it up on a hook. You say, well, that's a weird way of looking at it. But that's really what I see. It's us taking our cares and just putting it on God to hold for us. You ever have somebody come to your house and they wear their coat the whole time they're in your home? 
I know my, uh, whenever that happens with me, I'm like, are you leaving? Like, are you staying? Are you leaving? Yeah, I know my mom used to always say like, hey, why don't you stay a while? Like even when I was a kid and I'd come home from school and I just forget to take my coat off, you know, my mom would always say, hey, why don't you stay a while is what she would say. And it's the idea of, you know, when you come to somebody's house, you take off your coat, you're like, you're going to stay, you're going to enjoy the time there. You're not just there to jump out. But the problem is a lot of us, we just wear our cares with us everywhere we go. Even if we're among friends, even if we're among the, our God and we're at church, we're just carrying them with us. And it's a, it's a burden. It's a weight that we never let go of. But we should take them and cast them. Give them to God. That's a, the idea of getting them away from you. And he is going to hold those cares for us. Why? Because he cares for you. He cares for you. And that's the wonderful truth about our God is that he cares for us. And so we can be thankful even in the darkest of circumstances because God is in control. He is working in our lives. He is there for us and he is standing right beside us. And what a powerful thought this morning that God is with us and that our circumstances are no match for his good. Are no match for his good. Listen, God loves you today. Did you know that? He does love you. He loves you. And he loves you even in the most difficult of times. And he has a plan and he has a purpose. All we can do is simply trust. Simply trust. We hope that today's message was a help and encouragement to you in your walk with God. To stay connected with us, give us a like on Facebook or follow us on Instagram at Van City Baptist. Our prayer is that God will grow and bless you as you pursue his will for your life.